This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 656, a conversation with Ron Garney. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 656. It's my second conversation with Ron Garney, celebrated illustrator, and I'm your host, Adam Chapman. If you want to go back to the archives and listen to the uh, first time that I actually had Ron on the show, I would definitely encourage you to do that, as uh, it was a bit of a more of a, an intro to Ron Garney, the artist, in terms of understanding where he kind of came from, how he got into comics, um, his, er, you know, his early career working on G.I. Joe, etc. That episode is from July 11th, 2015, so it's coming up on four years old it's from episode 286 if you want to check the archive for that uh if you go to the comic shenanigans.podbean.com you can very quickly just go by categories and there's one for uh just ron garney and just click on that and it'll bring you to his episode uh this episode was a lot of fun i got to sit down and chat with ron about his current work we spent a lot of time talking about the first issue of savage sword of conan that uh, came out i guess in january or february i can't even remember when it came out i think it was february um my memory is not what it used to be and actually it was funny as we recorded it um we knew that the it was the day before the issue two of Savage Sword of Conan came out. Uh, originally, this episode was actually projected to be coming out, I think, on the 15th of March, but there were some changes in the schedule, and now it's coming out on March 1st, so it's actually a lot more timely um, in terms of the Savage Sword of Conan. Anyways, it was a great conversation with Ron. We got to talk about working on Conan with Jerry Duggan, uh, which was a lot of fun. And, you know, we sprinkled some other uh, uh, questions throughout his tenure at Marvel and DC, talking about different projects he worked on. Uh, as always, I really appreciate Ron being on the show. Uh, he's a great artist, but he's, he also has some really good stories and just an interesting perspective. Um, and is very, you know, very much a straight shooter. And that's what I really appreciated about his take on things. It was, it wasn't like a, an overly varnished kind of take on history. It was like, well, this, this worked out, this didn't. Um, and he's just very honest and forthright. And, um, I, I don't know, as a fan, I just think that's really refreshing and cool to be able to talk to him so honestly about the good and the bad. Um, and the highlights and lowlights of his career. And I felt that way about the first conversation we had, and I definitely feel that way about this one. Uh, I think we, when we sat down, uh, we were like, oh, you know, we won't go too long. And uh, I think we, we blew past what we expected, and I think it was uh, like an hour and 15 minutes or so. Anyways, it's uh, time time well spent. Um, so without further ado, let's get right into the episode. But before we do, you can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, Upcoming episodes include a, um, a spotlight episode on the Captain Marvel movie, which will be coming out on March 8th or 9th, while well, the movie comes out on the 8th. Uh, but the episode itself is probably going to come up on Saturday, which is the 9th, uh, so you can look forward to listening to that. A uh, week after, we should be our uh, conversation with Brett Breeding episode, which I'm really excited about. Actually, as as I record this intro, I'm actually about to speak to him in about 10 minutes, so very excited about that. Um, we're working on rescheduling with Judd Winnick. Uh, we've had a, a few uh, uh, issues with the schedule, so we're trying to get him back on the show to talk about the fifth book of Hilo, which came out, I guess, end of January now. Uh, so it's already, you know, we're already into March, but it, it did come out recently. Um, so that's just a, a, a glimpse at some of the stuff that's coming down the pike. Brian Reber, we're supposed to 
them back on the show, or sorry, on the show for the first time. Uh, we had an issue with scheduling as well. So a lot of good stuff to look forward to. But after four minutes of me prattling on, let's get right into the conversation as I speak with Ron Garney. Enjoy. Ron, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. Hello, Comic Shenanigans, Mr. <laughs> Chapman. Absolutely. Well, it's nice to have you back, and uh, it's funny. I, I, I've been thinking for a long time, like, oh, you know, I should have Ron back, but I don't want it to be too soon. I don't want to crowd you. And then I realized it's been almost four years, so it's probably probably a good amount of time to bring you back. Well, crowd away. Here I am. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Um, first of all, the last time we chatted, uh, you had kind of vaguely mentioned that you're working on a big new project that hadn't been announced yet, but you couldn't really talk about it. And, you know, for anyone who kind of knows what you've done for the last few years, you worked uh, uh, pretty extensively with Charles Sewell on Daredevil. And now you actually have a really exciting new project, which you're working on the Conan, one of the new Conan books. So I almost don't know where I want to start with this, but let's actually talk about maybe I'm going to do this out of order and say, let's go with your most current work. So how did you land the assignment on? On Savage Sword of Conan. Uh, same way I landed the assignment on everything else I've ever done. I got a call from the editor. Okay. Uh, or an email. One of the others said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. And um, in this particular case, it happened to be Savage Sword of Conan. And um, I was, yeah, obviously uh, excited to hear about it. Um, because it's a character I had never gotten to sink my teeth into and having been at Marvel for as long as I have I've done so much there that um, there's not a whole lot I haven't done so that was one Mm -hmm. and um, yeah so it was a it was a lot of fun to get the call when you were like uh, you know an actual comic book, well, not that you're not a fan of comics now, but obviously as as someone in the industry, it's harder to keep up on what's going on. And I think we talked about that last time that you know you don't really get a chance to read a lot of comics just because you're so busy making comics. Uh, when you were younger, did you have an affinity for Conan, or where did that character kind of land in your purview? Where did that? Where was that for you? I'm not sure if I where where did it land. Well, I, I meant more like what was your experience with Conan when, as a reader? Like, did you like Conan? Like, again, was this when you got the opportunity and the call to do this book? Was this kind of a wow? This is a character I really liked when I was you know younger when first reading comics. Or does Conan do a character kind of speak to you? Yeah, I, I um, I'm trying to remember if I had read much of it. I, I think I read a few of them growing up, uh, but I, I loved the movies. You know, I remember going to the theater to see see Conan when Arnold you know back in what was it 1980 at this point um, or 79 80 somewhere in there and uh, or was it 81 what year was that first movie um, I don't know I can't even remember but it was probably it was before I was born so I think it was 1980 but anyway uh, yeah I was excited I remember going to see that and it was really maybe it was a little later than that actually but um so yeah, I mean I'm familiar with it. I, you know, I again I got into comics sort of accidentally later. I mean I read them when I was young, and then I kind of got out of them um, for quite a number of years, and mm-hmm. um, so I just accidentally stumbled upon them again because a bartender friend had a comic behind the bar I was working at at the time, and that's sort of what led to this career. Um, so I, you know. I lo- always liked the character, obviously, and um, uh, so yeah. I mean, I you know, to the opportunity to draw a cool warrior because I was uh, before I got into comics, I had toyed with the idea of being a fantasy illustrator. I went to school, you know, to college. I was a 
fan, you know, I wanted to be a fantasy painter like for paperbacks like Frazetta did or Boris did mm. or Michael Whalen or any of those guys. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I like the whole, you know, fantasy genre, uh, sword and sorcery. Um, so yeah, when, when Conan came along, it was, I was excited about it. Now working with Jerry Duggan, I, forgive me, have you worked with Jerry before? No, no, it was the first time. Um, yeah, and I, uh, you know, I, I have to admit I haven't hadn't really read anything because I don't read much of comics. Because I, I, we used to get the bundles all the time, and I don't get to the comic shops. And most of the time, I'm so busy working, doing it that at the end of the day, I, I really don't, you know, I've got other things, that, you know, I've got a big family and other things I'm involved in, so it's hard for me to keep up on what everyone's doing. But I do know that he had done a successful run on Deadpool and. Uh, a couple other things so I was uh, excited excited to work with him now launching a title like this I mean obviously Jason Aaron's also doing another Conan book so this is one of the two Conan books to kind of bring the Conan license back to Marvel which is obviously a big deal for the publisher because they had a very long run back in the day and they haven't had the license for so long so coming into it what kind of pressures did you feel to kind of get this right feel any pressure I you know I that was I don't know, when I was asked to do it to me I just you know the idea starts swirling in my head how I'm going to approach it approach it visually you know and it, a lot of it depends on the script you know when I start reading the script how you know how it feels to me um, but I didn't feel any real pressure to do anything I know um, you know we had talked initially me and the editor Mark Basso about possibly reprinting my run in black and white so that gave me you know coming off daredevil and men of wrath and the style i've been using um i think they were excited about the opportunity of reprinting my stuff in black and white but i am working with a great colorist named richard eisenhoff and um so it's really kind of the best of both worlds but i didn't feel any pressure at all Mm. When you when you got the script from Jerry, like the idea, I mean, in, just in the first issue alone, like you deal with a lot of different things, but you deal with like you know, obviously you have a kind of a, a monster fight. You also have you know, um, you're at sea. So I mean, how do you find find that it kind of stretches you artistically to do things that maybe you don't get to do as often because you know, often you do do superheroes, which are have a very kind of uh, you know a set tone generally. But this is obviously very different. Do you find that exciting and being able to stretch yourself and push yourself more? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always looking to push myself. I mean, you know, um, but it definitely depends on the character. There's some characters I've worked on that I, you know, wasn't quite as excited about, but this wasn't one of them. Um, you know, so. Um, I'm always looking for new ways to, you know, for for me, the draw, the illustrating is sort of an adventure because I try to explore different possibilities with the style of it, um, with each character to make it its own. And so this was no different, you know. Um, I knew I wanted to do something that had a real gritty world, world feel to it. Um, you know, and my stuff is fairly gritty anyway, but... Um, you know, I, I love the idea of doubling into into different realities, and, and that to me is the most important part <clears throat> of making a book work or a character work is letting the reader, when they open it up, that they get sucked into that reality with me. And I think that's my responsibility as the storyteller illustrator. You know, mm-hmm. so 
how did how did you find you approach the physicality of a character like Conan that you know in the in the kind of the general consciousness there's you know the Arnold Schwarzenegger version as you mentioned which is obviously even more muscled there's you know leaner versions of the character how did you approach the physicality of a character like Conan? Um, <clears throat> how do I approach it? Well, I, you know, I approach just the, what looks right to me. You know, I I've seen you know, seen guys do him where he looks like he's you know, been taking steroids since he was three, um, you know, and there's guys who, you know, but, but for me, it's just about, I try to think in terms realistically, um, you know, uh, he's obviously very, I've drawn him big, but he doesn't look like he's, um, someone who's, you know, who's going to be able to lift the Brooklyn bridge or something, you know I mean? He just is, uh, you know, he's, muscly and athletic and but you know with that he needs to be fast and powerful and explosive and and I, I think that um, making him overly muscled sort of takes away from that a little bit mm-hmm. um, you know I want him to f- seem swift and yet muscular at the same time and I always like imbuing a little bit of grace in the physicality of, of things I do anyway like not, you know but more fluidity and you know rather than um, sort of a stiff poser type. Yeah, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. There's um, there's a shot in the first issue where you have a series of panels um, alternating between uh, Conan recuperating from an ordeal and then uh, just black with white text. Um, how much of that kind of sequence was just fully like in the script, and how much were you able to kind of embellish? Because it's really striking visually. Um, again, the juxtaposition between your art and again the great colors by Richard as well, and then you have this the, these black juxtapositions uh, just with the words as you have a sense of the time that you know kind of unfolding and the recuperation that's happening like how did this kind of page kind of come about because it's really visually striking um yeah i i'd have to look at the script again i i think jerry basically you know his scripts really left the open for me to interpret a lot of things um but i'm fairly certain he went in there and basically said he wanted to come up with a way to, to make it feel like he was drifting in and out of consciousness um, I think I just sort of chose the, uh, the the layout for it, but I knew that's where he wanted to go with it. So I, I again, I'd have to look at the script again because I'm not exactly sure I remember exactly how that came up. But um, yeah, no, but I agree. Um, yeah, it was a it was a cool effect, and um, you know, felt very dreamy. You know, and I tried to use that in, in some of the uh, black and white and make the, the panels sort of be borderless in a way and you know I'm just sort of have them sort of floating in the black um, but uh, yeah so I think um, you know obviously it was a, a brilliant thing to do I think on Jerry's part you know so that's basically how it came up now this is maybe a, a ridiculous process question but again I'm not an artist so I don't always understand how things work and so I forgive my naivete um there's a, a great shot near the end of the issue where you have Conan um, having the third eye open and he gets this the map um, that he sees in his mind and it's kind of this cool kind of red overlay. I'm just curious from an artistic perspective how that how you composite a page like that because you have this cool image of Conan and right. then you have everything kind of on top right. of it. Yeah, it's funny because when I did the, the Conan's face, I didn't want to put anything over it because I liked the way it came out so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know... Um, 
I just did a, you know, I drew the map set on a separate, you know, separate page, um, and then just put it in. Um, you know, had the uh, uh, production put it in as an overlay. Um, you know, worked with Richard on what kind of color worked the best, and he came up with a couple ideas. Showed them to me, and then I just told him that I felt that the red worked best. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it did. It looked, you know, almost looked kind of like a tattoo sort of over his face. But it was, it was an, it was a neat effect. Actually, that's that's a good description. It does look like a crazy tattoo on his face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was happy with it. It came out nice. And the, um, the the sequence where he actually fights the uh, I guess the the monster that's pretending to be the captain um, again that's very visually striking because again you have a lot of the blacks like they're fighting in darkness and then it gets lit up and then you have um, I guess Richard doing some of the lighting effects um, how do you kind of um, just from a, like obviously you're basically a cinematographer you're putting it all in, into place how do you make that work and how do you use the blacks to accentuate the action like you have here like I'm just again naive questions I'm sorry <laughs> uh, was, uh, I'm sorry could you just repeat that again I, I missed that I'm so. just, just curious how you like visualize and how do you composite an image like this to play against the blacks like they're fighting in darkness but you have obviously the characters themselves are lit up and you can kind of see the, the sparks off the off their swords as they clang how do you kind of personally like, visualize and how does it look on the page where you're actually having them fight in darkness and using that that darkness to illuminate your own characters um well uh sorry that is a hard one sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to figure out what exactly you're getting at but um i you know for me it's just um yeah I i do what makes sense i mean you know i do what makes sense but i you know you also have to be use artistic license on some things you know if you're in solid black even with um now with some light areas you want to make it dramatic and uh, you know so I was doing a lot of grayscale um, to separate the you know reflective lighting from the direct light and things like that um, and it just works when you're in solid black like that it just you know your eye gets just drawn to light areas and so it becomes very visually intense so kind of you, you know the sort of you know the, the black helps you along in that department to make it exciting you know mm-hmm. um, so you just have to know how to how to place the figures in that space absolutely now you uh you you're you're a great master of, of some facial expressions and there's um a, a couple p- p- places in this first issue where i was really drawn to just how you convey the horror of a scene just with the look on someone's face like when you have conan grabbing someone's finger and then you know using the shattered finger bone to escape but you have the look of the guy watching him absolute horror so you don't even see him kind of really getting the finger out but and getting the bone out but just the facial expression is priceless Well, thanks. <laughs> like, well, because yeah. it, it sells the moment, right? Like, it, it in, yeah, a, in sure. a way that I mean, seeing yeah. it wouldn't. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, it's less is more. And so just seeing the reaction is actually more effective than actually seeing him get the bone out. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. That was the point. Yeah, I was just, just wanted to do a nice big close-up with all that intensity and anger in his face, you know? I mean, that's, I think, um, you know, we're all going through that 
those ranges of emotions ourselves on a daily basis or not that kind of anger. But I'm saying... I hope not. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, we tend to project through our own feelings. You know, if you're reading the script, you, you know, you really want the reader to feel... You know, and what better way to do it but then to, to see a nice facial expression like that that they can project their own feelings onto. I mean, you, you sort of identify with it right away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's fun. It's just a fun, fun to put all those chunky blacks on there and, and really delineate the emotions with the, with the uh, you know, thickness and boldness of the, of the lines around the eyes, and, you know. It all works. So every line has to mean something. And mm. if you look at, you know, a face like that, every line contributes towards the, the, the conveying of that emotion. There's nothing wasted on it. So That's a, that's a good point. Um, one thing I want to ask just is a little bit more process oriented as well as, you know, you have this, a bunch of shots here where you do make use of the setting that they're on a boat and you kind of see the mass, et cetera. Did you any, use any particular visual reference for that or is that all kind of just from the general sense of what you've seen over the years in movies, et cetera? Uh, both. I mean, I, you know, I, um, you know, I was trying to get a sense of where I would put the car the hold, the slaver hold, um, you know things like that so I would pull up some reference and everything but once you start doing that I don't like to copy things so directly from reference I kind of look at things and pictures or whatever and get a sense and and then you know understand once you understand how the ship these ships or anything for that matter how they function and the layout the general layout of them or you know where the captain's galley is you know um, then you can kind of just do it yourself. Um, you know, if I needed reference on something, and, and you do have to take artistic license, you know, there's a couple shots I use of looking down from the mast and everything, and the mast might be a little bit, it's no longer than you like, but it works to frame the shot better, you know. Um, but it's all pretty much based in, rea- you know, some reality. It has to feel like it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't like to generally just copy right off of a, a photo I try to learn mm. about the things I'm drawing you know so I learned about the stairs that go up to the second landing and the, you know and just looked and, and studied them for a while and then I started figuring out where to put the camera on the boat you know that would work best to put the figures in and, you know that's how it works for me I don't know about other people so when you were reading the script from Jerry um when you, when you get to the part where, where Conan's eating a shark, um, what, what's what's your reaction as a, as you know as a storyteller? Like, holy crap! Like that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I'm like, who doesn't want to see that? And, you know, you've never, I don't recall ever seeing that myself anywhere. And that's <laughs> you know where guys, you know, guys like Jerry Shine, you know, they, you know, Charles Sewell was like that, coming up with just fresh little moments that will stick out in a person's head. And, you know, and I think that particular scene on the ocean, the, the you know the tur- you know the roiling waves and the ship in the distance, and you know I try to really convey a, that a cold feeling of the ocean and the mist and the the seagulls. And I wanted to feel, I wanted you to feel that wind on your back, you know, and the wind on your arms, and, and um, I think that particular page definitely will. It will be a memorable one for that reason. Mm-hmm. 
this is a maybe a weird question, but is this a page that you would sell or would you keep it? No, I'd probably keep that one. <laughs> Depending on the offer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it is gorgeous. And it, it's also the juxtaposition because that first page where it's a completely different setting and you don't even realize it's kind of like a hazy, you know, just dream that's not actually occurring. And then you flip the page and you get to this. It's like, whoa, this is not where I thought this was going. And you mean from the first page where he's sitting in the getting fed the, the, the leg? Yeah. Yeah, and then it turns and he's in the middle of the ocean. I know that was, that was a fun jump. You know, um, yeah, I love doing it. It was a gas. Now, what can you tease us about upcoming issues? Actually, as we speak, I think issue two is about to drop tomorrow. Um, but by the time this comes out, that issue two will have come out already. But what can you tease us about what's coming up in, in the pages of Savage Sword of Conan? Um, well, I, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the teaser pages or anything, but you know, it gets it gets pretty gruesome. Um, you know. And it's always interesting to me how Conan, the, the world he's in, how it's just a normal day for him. <laughs> you know, it's like for them, him and just walking along and he comes across a stack of bodies that have been pale, impaled on each other. It's just like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a stack of bodies over there, you know, where any one of us, if we came across, across that in reality, we'd be pretty, you know, pretty effing horrified, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's fun, but uh, you know I don't want to give too much away. You know, you just have to have to just keep following it because you know, I mean that's the fun is is the anticipation, and, you know, waiting to see what comes next. That that brutality and that gruesomeness. I mean, how do you find that as an artist? Is that just more fun to draw because it is kind of a more heightened, crazy reality? Yeah, well, it's very visceral. I try to make it very visceral. You know. Um, I've become over the years probably a little desensitized to drawing that kind of thing the same way Conan is desensitized <laughs> to seeing it um, you know uh, because I, I remember way back in the early part of my career I worked on a book called Night Stalkers with uh, Dan Chichester and, and he put in a lot of gruesome stuff you know um, he was really into the Hellraiser movies the Clyde Barker stuff you know and mm-hmm. that stuff was all very very um, graphic and you know, potent, and I think so. And just you know, I've drawn so many things over the course of my career. You know, and then coming off Men of Wrath, which was sort of a brutal story in its own right. Uh, you know, I, I I know I'd have a bigger problem with it if I felt like the age group of the readers was much younger, like it used to be. But it's not so much anymore. So I don't have as as, uh, it's not as uncomfortable for me doing it, you know. Mm. That's true. And plus, there, I mean, there, and doing it in a book like Conan, like that violence doesn't, as much as it might be gruesome, it also does not feel like it's uh, just extra for extra's sake. Like it is part of that world. Right, right, right. It's not gratuitous. It's just a, you know, that's the that's, word. I, I couldn't think that, of the that's word. The thing I'll tell you. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just saying I couldn't think of the word. That was the word gratuitous. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we could learn a little bit about, you know, things like that because I think, you know, even though that's a fantasy world, you know, the history of our world is a very savage one. Um, you know, which, <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that. Um, and it still is in a lot of ways, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a reminder 
I think Game of Thrones works that way, you know. I mean, even though it's not a real world, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot represented in there that, you know, I mean, visually represented that, you know, is fairly accurate towards, you know, to the, which speaks to the brutality of, of Earth's, Earth's, you know, long, you know, long history. So, mm-hmm. It's a savage place here. I mean, you know, anytime you watch a freaking nature video, I mean, you know, it cracks <laughs> me up to watch any of these videos like that. What was that show that used to be on uh, where you go down into the insect world and you see, like, the, you know, these bug wars, I think it's called. You know, as you watch those shows and you realize just how brutal everything is, it's just, everything's just eating each other. You know, everything's just killing and eating and surviving and fighting and you know it's a it's a crazy little planet you know you uh, you know you look at the pictures of the earth from out you know on the moon or, or from out in space and it seems so quiet and peaceful but man there's some crazy stuff going on on this little moat in space so <laughs> uh, switching switching gears a little bit um yeah. one thing i want to ask you about so obviously like most modern comics generally speaking we're kind of used to everything eventually being collected for trade paperbacks or whatever the case might be but obviously that was not the case you know you know 20 years ago so when you have a collection like hulk dogs of war just came out which reprints your issues of uh of hulk that you did with uh paul jenkins what is that you know kind of is that cool to kind of see your stuff coming back so that people can actually enjoy it again um Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, you know, there's stuff. I'm very critical of, of a lot of my work, you mm-hmm. know, past work. I mean, obviously, I have to. I'm mature about it, you know, because I realized there were things that I was growing through and experimenting with, and, you know. And, uh, but there's also some things where I, I can look back at my work and, and see how I was pushing to get something done. I should have spent more time on it, or. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not particularly proud of how a certain thing worked out, sequence or whatever, so I cringe a little bit. You know, it's kind of like a lot of, you know, people or actors or whatever, they say, oh, I can't see myself on camera, you know. I think it's a similar thing. Hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to look. You know, I, I can't I can't even deal when I see sketches I've done at conventions, you know, because in the moment they look like they were coming out pretty good, but then I see them posted later, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I... I should have done this or that to it and it looks just does not look the way I would have wanted to because it takes time to you know if anything is going to come out really well you know I, I need to spend more time with it and sometimes you you don't see it in the moment the things that need to be fixed or changed or you know to, to make it a better drawing mm-hmm. um, that's why it's important to take your time and spend your time I've worked out a system with my own work now where I you know, I, I work ahead of, on things and I go back to them. I go back to the pages so I don't – because what happens is if, I've noticed if you go through and draw an entire page uh, immediately, like let's say I do a layout and I do the page and I put it aside and I go to the next page, go to the next page, and then it goes to the goes to uh, the editor or, you know, it, it gets printed and the comic comes out, I'll inevitably look at the pages I didn't go oh my god I, what, why did I miss that or that doesn't look right or this doesn't look right so I'm very careful now not to um, to let those things try not to let those things slip by so I tend to do hello 
because usually I'm here. You oh, there? Yeah, no, I got you. you. You just disappeared for a second. Oh. Okay, you got me? I got you now. Okay, good. Um, so, yeah, so I jump ahead and then I go back. And, you know, usually when I go back to the page, I'll see things instantly. Hmm. Um, the, what I, that I had, didn't see had I finished the entire page right away, you know. So um, I'm very careful about that now. It's really interesting, yeah, because that's not something, again, as a non-artist, like, I, I, it's hard to imagine what that looks like. So it's really cool to kind of get an insight into what that process looks like from the inside. Right. Now, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. When, uh, so you've been actually, not only have you been working on Conan, obviously, you have been springing up in a lot of places doing variant covers. Um, what, what was it like to kind of go back and get to do a couple of variant covers for Captain America? Um, it's all, man, that's always fun. You know, I mean, those, those covers were fun to do. I enjoyed the surfer cover. I enjoyed the Namor cover. Uh, I enjoyed all of them really. Um, but, um, yeah, it was fun. I was, you know, I did a, uh, very, hello. Yep. Hello. Okay. I did a very stark noir like cover. Um, you know, very graphic that I wanted to play with. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was fun. Yeah, I, I had a ball, a ball doing them. I mean, and I, I, just speaking as someone who's always been a fan of your Captain America, it's always special to see you coming back to that character in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have said that to me. That's that's nice to hear, you know, um, that I've been so identified with that. You know, I was in the business for about mm, five years at that point when I when I did that book and you know but that's the one that people remember me the most for that's the one that got me the sort of the notice in the, in the industry you know because I had done Ghost Rider Night Stalkers a little bit of Daredevil Moon Knight you know all before that but Cap was the one that really got people to stop and take a look so why do you think uh, that and it was, pop- and it was, yeah so I was just going to say why do you think that popped so much like why do you think that was the one that kind of that landed was a perfect storm of, of a lot of different things. I think Cat um, was sort of floundering around under, you know, uh, Mark Grunewald had been writing him for a long time, and I don't think, I think it got to a point where he wasn't writing the character um, with the serious slant that, you know, he probably could have been. Um, he had just written it for so long. I think he ran it. I think he told me as much that, you know, he was just running out of stories to tell with it, you know, and I think it got to a point of, you know, where the, a lot of the characters weren't being treated the way they were, not just Cap, but, you know, when you when you do a, a book, you know, called Cap Wolf, a storyline called Cap Wolf, <laughs> Cap is a werewolf, I mean, you know, that's when you know it's time to kind of jump ship and uh, it's time to try something else and bring the character back to his, you know, give him back the, the iconic status that he that he enjoys you know um, nothing against Mark Grunewald I love the guy you know rest in peace you know he's a friend and um, and he did a great run on it it was just it had been so long it was time to move in that direct back in that you know, uh, you know that direction mm-hmm. redefined what made Cap great you know um, so I think it was that I think you know my art style wasn't quite the that sort of um, template that everyone was using at the time um, you know at that point I think a lot of the books had sort of a third generation Scott Williams incline on everything and you know Jim Lee had really changed the 
entire industry. He was kind of like the nirvana <laughs> of his day. You know, he came in and came up with a style that even he couldn't have predicted would have had the effect on the industry it did, but it did. You know, it was everybody was doing his style, you know, and doing those bobby pin sort of rendering, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, rendering that was sort of sort of uh, birthed from Barry Windsor Smith and then, you know, became, a, you know, morphed into what it morphed into, this, this strange pattern that everybody was putting down and everything. Um, and I wasn't really doing that. I mean, I experimented with it too um, in spots, but I wasn't really doing that. And I just, I was really more into, like, you know, I, I more into drawing you know, the way I wanted to have fun with it, not the way everybody else was, you know, sort of buzzing around that style like a bunch of bees at the time. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to, you know, have fun with what I saw. As soon as I was offered cap, boom, that, you know, I had a an instant, you know, uh, vision in my head of how I wanted him to look, how I wanted him to feel, stand, run, uh, you know, his stature, everything, you know, and that's usually when I know a book is good for me to do is when I get that instant feeling about it. Mm -hmm. And Surfer, Silver Surfer was that way, The Hulk was that way. All the books I've done that have, you know, had success with have been like that. And I think with Cap, it was no different. I mean, so I, you know, I got on that book and I, the enthusiasm was there. And, and anytime you're enthusiastic about something, it just shows, mm. you know, your, your passion for it shows. And uh, so that's really why and I think Mark coming on he was you know pretty hot writer at that point um, so yeah and I, I remember sitting with Wade and, and asking me you know what do I want to do and you know and I, I like the idea of adventures I'm an adventure guy I like exploring things and I thought it would be a cool idea to take Cap out of the country on an adventure and you know and uh, like kind of a true lives thing and Hmm. Uh, yeah, and so and that's where Manuel Country came came up, you know, so he could go. And, and I expressed to Mark how I thought it would be a cool thing to see how you know Cap's effect on the rest of the world, you know, not just America, but you know how do how does how do other countries, you know, um, interpret the icon of Captain America, you know, and so that's basically how Manuel Country was was spawned from that conversation. So. No, we we've dabbled. So I think it's, yeah. That, no, no, it does. That that answers that. Um, I, I had a question that we've kind of dabbled into a little bit of this in the prior conversation we had, but you know when the kind of decision came out down that Heroes Reborn was going to happen and then Liefeld was going to come in and kind of take over Captain America. Um, obviously, you know, you said before that was a bit of a blow. When you guys found out that the book was going to come back into kind of Marvel proper. Was it always a foregone conclusion that you, that you and Mark would reunite or was that kind of a, a tough selfie to bring you guys back after having let you guys go? Like how did, do you remember? I mean, it was over 20 years ago, obviously, but do you recall kind of how that went down? Um, well, I remember how it went down when we got told, when I got told, you know, there wasn't going to be doing it. Uh, I got a call from, I believe it was Bob Harris, the editor-in-chief, and he basically told me, you know, that the book was going. Or maybe I got told by Ralph, and then I was like, well, you know, well, that's bullshit or whatever. I don't I don't really remember exactly, but Bob Harris called me, and 
he said, are you going to punish Marvel over this? And, you know, I'm like, punish you? I said, oh, you know, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> how, do you, how do you expect me to react to any of this, you know? But and I wasn't mad. I mean, I understood it as a business decision. I just thought it was a, you know, it kind of sucked, you know, because we were, you know, I'd been working hard for a long time to try to build up a good career. And I was finally doing a book I really wanted to do and a character I wanted to do. And then to have the, the rug kind of pulled out from under me kind of sucked. But I understood that from a business position, you know, and I was under contract with them. And, uh, you know, so it just led to me doing Surfer because they asked me, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, they were very, um, you know, willing to offer me whatever I want to, you know, not to to leave or to quit or any of that, you know. And I, you know, I didn't want to quit, you know. So I chose to do Surfer. It was another character I wanted to do. And they made me, you know, made it worth my while. And, um, you know, so after that, uh, when the book came back and they asked me, I was a little hesitant at first, you know, because I remember telling Mark I really didn't think we were going to be able to hit that lightning in a bottle again because of all those, like I was saying to you before, it was a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't think it was going to work. And I, and I, my, even me artistically, part of what happened with me was because I had the book taken away, I, um, I started experimenting with my style again a lot where I was really trying to come up with a real look for Captain America and I was really kind of firing on some cylinders towards the end of it there and I wish I'd you know who knows what it looked like had I stayed on it but um so by the time I came back my style had changed dramatically because I was trying a lot of different things again um, and I tried to recreate some of what I was doing in Cap, but again, the lightning in a bottle wasn't there, and it, I didn't have that that momentum, you know, that artistic momentum going in. And even though I will say technically I was a I was a better draftsman in in all areas, it didn't have quite the uh, it didn't have quite that it factor coming back. Hmm. Um, you know, and I think that went for Mark's story too. You know, I, Mark had a brilliant idea, and I've told this before this story. But you know, when he called me about it, he had a brilliant idea to, to just start over, start the book again with um, Cap riding on a bullet train. And the only thing it said was the first caption was "Now back to our story." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was great. I'm like, oh my god, that's perfect. Don't even like it didn't even have like oh that was a bad dream or whatever. Just now back to our story. Okay, well, that was something, wasn't it? Now let's just move on to what we were, you know, where we were before. And I thought that's the way it should have gone, back to the adventure. And I think I would have had it, would have been a lot more fun to do it that way. But then, you know, he got into the the Japan story and the westernization of Japan and, you know, and things like that. And it was fine. It was, it was fun to draw. I was, you know, I, I put a lot of work into that first issue, you know, but I think it just lost a little something, which I, I knew it would. Hmm. Um, not to get too much in the weeds there, but I mean, in the issues that you were doing before you did end up leaving Cap there, or um, you did get to do or experiment with the triangle shield. How did that? How did you feel, kind of using that instead of the circular shield? Because obviously, it changes how you kind of position and, and draw Cap. Because it's just you're used to seeing him in a certain way. Uh, it was fun. I mean, you know, I, uh, I I wouldn't have been as happy having drawn as much Cap as I did had I not got to draw all those layers of him 
in his own personal history, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed doing it. I mean, there wasn't any technical problems with it per se. I thought it was an interesting look, you know, like this emblematic sort of shield shape. Um, you know, obviously he's known for the circular shield, but, you know, that shield was something. So um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. <clears throat> One thing I didn't get a chance to talk to you about before or ask you about is that kind of in that in-between era before you took over Silver Surfer, you do have two issues of Amazing Spider-Man come out, which I guess were your kind of <laughs> earlier dabblings with the character. And I guess... <laughs> I forgot about those. <laughs> now, sh- should we forget about them? Or like, how did you feel about being able to do <laughs> Spider-Man? Because that's a big deal. Uh, or was it a big deal? <laughs> I wanted to do it. I mean, you know, of course I... I was always happy to do Spider-Man, um, but it was just a you know I don't know I, I, it's it's always tough going in and just drawing a book without having any sort of warm up period or getting to to do it as a regular title where you can familiarize yourself with how to draw them and you know and mm-hmm. uh, I enjoyed it you know a, a lot of my sample stuff early on before I got into comics was Spider-Man stuff so I wasn't wholly unfamiliar with it. But it, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to remember what the stories were about. I don't even think I knew what exactly was going on in the story. And, you know, um, I was just drawing it based on the characters I was getting in the script and trying to make sense of it, you know. And I think um, it just was a, wasn't an artistic triumph. Let's just put it that way for a variety (laughs) of, a variety of reasons. Fair enough. I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because I mean, that, those two issues do get reprinted a fair bit because they're part of the end of the clone saga period. So, you know, people do like collecting those and and rebuying those. So it's interesting that those two issues do kind of live on forever. Yeah. Not that, not that everything doesn't, but you know what I mean? Like it, it's being actively reprinted. That's sort of what I was saying before, about even the sketches I've done at conventions, they live on forever. You know, the internet makes everything live on forever when you'd rather forget them. (laughs) Um, you know, in those particular issues, there just were too many problems with it. You know, nothing, you know, I don't want to, like I said, I just don't, it's not one of my favorite things I've done in my career, but it was just two issues and it, and it shows in spots. I mean, there were, you know, it was just too loose and weird looking. I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I can't get into it. It's just, like I said, it just wasn't, a, wasn't a, the triumph I would have liked it to have been. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to ask you last time either about uh, working on uh, Sentinel of Liberty, the uh, short-lived kind of second cap book. Um, right. Because I, I was really enjoyed your art there. Um, I'm just curious. I mean, how did I mean, how did that book even come about, and how did you kind of get tagged as being the one to to illustrate it, and not being doing the regular cap book anymore? Well, that's that's again um, was another. You know, Marvel at that point for me was like a roller coaster ride, and I don't think I really fit in anywhere at that point. You know what I mean? It was really a weird, my career has been sort of a weird, um, I don't know what the word, whatever the word for puzzle is, I guess. Um, okay. Not, not drum, but, you know, just a weird, what's that word I'm looking for? Um, just a yeah I don't know just a weird up and down sort of puzzle you know because you know I reached uh, you know it's coming off all the superstar artists and 
you know, and Wizard Magazine, and, you know, and here I was, and, you know, and I, I'm reaching this level, and then it gets, it gets ripped away, and, um, you know, so there was this big question mark about me, and what am I going to do, and then I go over to Surfer, and then I'm, I'm off that, because Cat comes back, and I'm on that, you know, and I do a couple issues of Spider-Man, and, you know, it's just sort of all over the place, my career at that point, you know, like, what's going to happen with me? And it was just a big question mark above me, Ron Garney, the brand and the artist, um, you know, and whereas a lot of these guys were, you know, very friendly with wizard magazine and, you know, and, uh, you know, there was a top 10 list of artists and, you know, so it was a different time, you know, and it, there was a lot more, um, positioning and cutthroat, Behavior on everyone's part in the industry at that time because um, it was so competitive because the stakes were high to get, you know, the, your recognition, you know, the egos were, were huge, you know, like being on the Wizard Top Ten list and, you know, and trying to compete with that and everybody trying to, you know, get their position and get on an X book or get on this or get on that. And, and here I was, I was just trying to have fun and I go and I get on cap and I'm having fun and it's, you know, it's doing really well. And then boom, it's, you know, it turns into that whole mess, you know, it becomes a political, everybody starts pissing on it. Um, you know, like, a, you know, that's the way it happens when it happened back then books become popular. All of a sudden everybody wants to do them, you know, um, mm start peeing on it and um, so I think there was a little bit of that going on and then I was, when I was told about the cat thing you know I was getting hounded because of the schedule and you know and I had to get these things done and and um, anyway so I was getting hounded um, to do the to, to get the book done and and uh, so you know and I hated that anyway and it was I was killing myself trying to do a good job. Like, I killed myself on the first issue. You know, I tried to do a good job on the second issue, and I was really pumped to keep going and doing a good job. And then the third issue came, and that was in the Smithsonian Institution. And then little by little, you know, because I'm getting hounded about the schedule, the work starts to suffer because I'm trying to speed up and get them done. And, you know, and then uh, somewhere along the way, that you know, <laughs> they wanted... You know, Andy Kubert got the offer to do it, um, and so I, it, it just felt like another real slap in the face. To be—I'll be perfectly frank—that mm-hmm. uh, it, it really pissed me off. Um, you know, because here they begged me to come back on it, and then they just took me off the, the main title for you know a hotter artist, a wizard top ten artist. You know, and mm-hmm. nothing against Andy Kubert or any—you know, obviously, you know, it's just again it, it's just business but it wasn't it didn't feel very good so um, again so I was put in this position again of a question mark above my head of what my, is my relevance to the industry and I think even Wizard Magazine coined, coined me as the human volleyball you know like uh, my career was like a volleyball nobody knew what to do with it you know and and I was just trying to find some stability in it but that, you know by the time that came around um I was offered Sentinel Liberty. They said, oh, well, you can even co-write it if you want. So I co-plotted the stories with Mark. And, you know, but it just felt like, you know, like, uh, you know, what's the term when they sort of give you the, well, we'll give you this as a consolation prize kind of thing. Hmm. 
uh, and I'm not honestly. Uh, believe me, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sound bitter. I'm not bitter at all. I mean, you know, I've had a great career, but it, that's the way it was going at that time. Um, so, at the by the time that came and went, you know, I was just sick of it. You know, I was just I wanted to get away from cat. I wanted to get away from the politics, and I just wanted to go on to a book that I could just have fun with and stay on it enjoy it and that's around the time I got the you know the call to say the Hulk was available um, so that's basically how that went you know mm-hmm. I went from Sentinel Liberty to Hulk and here here I wanted to do a book that I wanted to do character I wanted to do that didn't have all that political backstabbery going on on it you know all that stuff and that drama mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know and then uh, yeah, so that's that's what I did. I went over to Hulk, and I remember uh, some John Byrne was the writer, and uh, you know, and there was a big to do about that because Peter David was leaving, and, you know, and that turned into a whole other <laughs> <laughs> can of worms because John John Byrne got mad at the editor, or the editor got mad at John, and John wasn't turning in script. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I got kind of caught in the middle, and um, and then John got fired, and. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, so <laughs> just another one of those things. <laughs> no, look, looking at Hulk, do you think the fact that Hulk, the Hulk offer came in when it did, do you think that kept you in comics? Um, just based on the timing of it all, like given what had been going on in, the, in you know, with Captain America and then with Sentinel Liberty, like if, if Hulk had, hadn't come along at that point, like, where do you think you would have gone? Do you, do you think there's a possibility you actually would have left comics? I don't know. I have no idea. There's a possibility. Um, I mean, the good thing is that Hulk came along. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that at that, at that point, you know, I was cooped up. You know, I, my social life was really pretty much non-existent. I mean, I had a girlfriend for a number of years. And we had split up. Um but I sacrificed a lot early on to get a good career going. You know, I was, you know, I wasn't going to a lot of parties, let's say, or, or you know, I, I was foregoing even going to family functions at, at points because I had to make the schedule, you know, and there were blow-ups over that, you know, when I found out editors were lying to me about the schedule and, and one editor called me one time and said, oh, you know, the inker's sitting around waiting for, sitting on his hands waiting for pages, Ron, you know, you gotta get these pages done. And the funny thing she didn't know, she wasn't aware of was or whoever the editor was, is that I had just spoken with the inker and he said he had a whole stack he hadn't gotten to. Oh, really? Yeah, so I was extremely, extremely, you know, unhappy about being treated like that because you're, you're toying with my life, you know, and I was foregoing personal things and events in my life to go do those things, uh, you know, and to be manipulated like that, you know, so at that point I was getting really disillusioned really fast and, uh, you know, and again, I'm not complaining. It is what it is. I mean, this is life and this is what happens. And, you know, you ride these waves like, you you know, you have your ups and your downs and, you know, um, that's how you, it's how how you deal with them that matters, and uh, so I try to deal with them as best as I can. You know, and everybody's trying to survive at the end of the day. Um, so that's how I handled it, and uh, you know, but I was getting disillusioned by the time Hulk came around. I was having fun again drawing something I wanted to draw, you know, and then 
John got fired. It was just such a dysfunctional ride for that whole decade, mm. you know. Um, and you know, and uh, so it was it was wearing thin on me, and I was you know, um, I wasn't doing the work that I was capable of. And after Hulk, I can't remember what happened after that. I think it was on X Men. But then I had a series of personal events. Actually, during Hulk, I had a series of personal events happen in my life that you know I was going through some personal trials. Um, in my, and um, so that was affecting my work, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what happened. And um, I don't know what I would have done. I remember I, I did start a band at one point. I thought about getting into music as a musician as well and, <laughs> and doing other things. So um, I knew I needed a break at one point. I had done some work for DC as well. Well, to switch gears to, uh, I guess, happier things. Um, so yeah, I know that sounded all so morose. <laughs> it sounded a little <laughs> depressing. Yes. Yeah, well, I wasn't trying to. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, to uh, when we so when we look at uh, Men of Wrath, which was obviously your book with Jason Aaron, which we talked about extensively in our last conversation. Um, in the intervening time, I guess late last year, you had the uh, a new hardcover edition come out of with Men of Wrath, and it says it's a remastered collection. So what was that like, kind of having that book come back out again into the kind of uh, public presence? You mean through image? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, how, and how was well, it? It, was, it wasn't a way that long, you know? I mean, so I, I don't know. I, you know, it just came came out, and I, I love the new format, and we put a new cover on it. I did a new cover for it, and, you know, and I'm very proud of that book. Um you know, sad. We, you know, we had shopped it around, and we don't. You know, it was slated to be a television series. Uh, you know, but then the Me Too movement happened with Harvey Weinstein, and so that just threw everything into a state of flux, um, and it got dropped from USA. And um, so it's still there. Hopefully, you know, maybe something will come of it at some point. But uh, I'm very proud of it. Um, you know, it's a it's a hardcore story. You know, and I wanted to do a book that. Uh, wasn't superhero related I, I like you know I wanted to do a real world sort of you know just real characters and that couldn't fly you know <laughs> kind of thing um, and I was always a fan of Road to Perdition um, and so this was my chance to do something similar you know in that vein so I was happy to have it come out again for sure now when it says it was remastered what does that what does that mean exactly well, there was more stuff in it, you know, more sketches, more process things, um, new cover, um, you know, just more, um, a little more in there that the fans could, uh, you know, sink their teeth into. So um, a, a newer, better package overall. That's good. And then I, I've left it for last, not intentionally, but uh, we've kind of missed out. For the last few years, you worked on Daredevil. Um <laughs> So, what was it like working on Daredevil? Because it was it was a very interesting take that Charles had. I mean, he came off of Mark Wade's run and kind of did something very different with the character, um, much darker, which definitely seemed to suit your art style very well. Uh, you got to play with a slightly redesigned costume uh, with more blacks, less on the red, more on the black. What was it like, kind of tackling Daredevil, and how did you kind of make him your own? Well, I you know. Again, another character I could see right away in my head how I wanted to approach it. And I, a lot of that was with the colorist, too. I mean, I sent the colorist um, a lot of ideas, you know, Andy Warhol sort of coloring and a lot of black and white photography with just splashes of hazy color, 
amidst the, the uh, black and white, you know, and things like that. And I, I expressed to him I wanted to do it in such a way that the reader was almost looking through Daredevil's eyes, you know, like, you know, this blind man with an, some weird enhanced radar vision. So I wanted the, the book to reflect just a different sort of a visual appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, to subtly imply that, you know, through, like, we're almost looking through Daredevil's eyes. Like, when you look at the art, look at the coloring, look at the uh, the way I've rendered the blacks and the whites, and the, you know, that your eyes are kind of like maybe what Daredevil's would be if he could see, you know, um, you know, see, see, you know, the way he would see it. So uh, that's how I approached it right away. And um, I started doing. It's a real high contrast with grays. Um, and then, you know, I was imploring the color, working very closely with Matt Miller, who's a great colorist, uh, you know, to uh, come up with this look. You know, I was really pushing him and pushing this look uh, to, you know, get this sort of monochromatic, um, cool, visceral world that Daredevil would live in. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I thought it was pretty successful. A lot of people didn't know what to make of it at first. And I actually had to fight to get there with the you know, editor at the time. Um, because she you know, she had something else in her head. And, you know, and I didn't want to go that route. I wanted to do this. And I had to fight a little bit to get it. But it was ultimately for the, for the you know, worked out better for it. Now, you got to create what I thought was one of the uh, creepier but coolest uh, Daredevil villains in a long time, which was Muse. What was it like yes. kind of designing that character visually? Because it's a very, it's a very unique look. Yeah, that was, um, yeah. When you know Charles Knight talked about that, it was just he's. I think Charles is one of the you know greatest talents to come along in a long time. I think he's got a lot of fresh ideas, and you know we were swapping ideas back and forth, and I, I can't you know thinking of this, this this demented serial killer artist you know um living in uh, soho or something you know and so <laughs> um just trying to come up with sort of a current urban look for him um you know maybe maybe that's the way banksy really looks you know <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's basically the uh was the inspiration um you know, and the black hollowed out eyes and the, you know, and the blood coming out was sort of my idea, like to, like his, like, you know, like I always was, I tried to approach it visually, like the artist bleeds for his art, you know, and so his eyes are looking at the art and so you see the blood would just pour out of his eyes and create like this painting sort of pattern on his chest, you know, like, you know, and, I, and I, so I probably had a little bit of, you know, Banksy meets Rorschach in there, hmm. um, sort of thing. Um, you know, but that's that was my inspiration in my head of how I wanted it to play out metaphorically. What was going on on his face was, you know, he was an artist bleeding for his art, and he was also a serial killer. So it, you know, it went right down to his heart, like the heart. His art was his heart, you know, and it, it coalesced on his chest, and you know, so. 
that's where that all came from. Now, in, in your run as well, I mean, you got to kind of revisit the character of the Kingpin because obviously you famously got to use him in the, the Back in Black storyline back in Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. So now you get to, to use that character again in a very different setting. What was it like to yes. come back to the Kingpin? Uh, I, yeah, I love drawing the guy. He's a big, giant, jughead-looking, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, I like those old Marvel villains. You know, They just have that look about them. I think John Romita Jr. was great at doing those kinds of characters you know um, so it's always fun to fun to draw that way and draw you know those you know over over larger than life characters but um, coming up off of Spider-Man it was fun to use them um, the back in black I mean it was you know this, one of my favorite things I've done in my career was uh, the story where you know he gets to the crap beat out of him by Spider-Man in the prison, which was my story idea, actually. Oh yeah, it, it wasn't JMS's; it was mine. Um, and it, it was a little, I was I had a little bit of a to do with Marvel over it because um, you know I wasn't given credit for the story, and it was my story. But anyway, um, you know, so it was uh, you know, you know, the fact that he's such a part of my personal artistic lore at this point, you know, it was, it was fun to revisit him for sure. For sure. Um, a question just in general about, again, the way that you portrayed Daredevil in the costume and kind of the, the slight redesign that was done at the beginning of the, of the series. Um, you had uh, the kind of the, the, the laced up boots look, uh, right, which, right. which definitely like made the character very striking in a way that visually, because uh, often it just kind of was this this mass of red. But now you had kind of the, the kind of the blacks, you had the kind of the highlights with the reds. And then you had, again, these laced up boots. Where, where did that kind of inspiration come from? Yeah, it's funny. I've seen a few, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, what's your favorite costume, Daredevil costume things on like Twitter and stuff. And the black one seems to actually do really well. Like second, uh, it's either first or second to the red. So I feel like you know, at least I've made my mark in that way. Um, <laughs> but uh, and and also the weird symbol. You know, I kind of did this urban symbol with a little flame coming off the D's you know and uh, so it was different um, but uh, the inspiration I'm trying to remember you know I, I was I was just drawing a bunch of different designs and you know and working with um, I think Joe Casada and I were swapping some ideas back and forth and, you know that's kind of how it evolved um, you know I was doing things and they were like oh well I like this and so it you know accentuate that and then cut away this or, you know and it just finally worked out the way it worked out there was one point he had a costume that looked sort of like something out of Tron where he had like these lines going all around him you know but it eventually just just devolved into the black you know the striking black with the boots and the the hand wraps and the, you know to accentuate the boxing you know of his father and uh, so yeah that's how it worked out hmm uh, well, and speaking of you know striking visual designs, Blind Spot was also a very kind of cool look to a character. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned the kind of the Tron esque kind of ideas with the lines, because I guess Blind Spot kind of has that kind of idea with that kind of the, the white uh, lines that are on his arms and kind of up his side. Yeah, that was uh, again. I, I came out of my sketchbook. I had this idea of, of doing a character that you know, um, like I, I know that Charles wanted to use an invisibility thing on it. We were kind of trying to come up with ideas. And, uh, or maybe, uh, yeah, I think he wanted to come up with an idea for a 
become invisible. And I came up with the idea for the mask that could float in midair, just, you know, that uh, would scare the crap out of whoever he was fighting because he could turn off the suit and he would have this cloak, invisibility cloak, but then you just see this floating golem-like mask, you know, which was really cool and creepy. But the, you know, but the whole point of him being blind spot was that he would blend in or be invisible. And so um, the stripes on him came the idea that if he was in an urban setting, he would blend in with fire escape light. You know, light, light coming through fire escapes, you know, you always see that pattern, zebra like, you know, striping sort of thing going on. And um, I think, I, you know, it could have pushed it even more, I think, you know, but I thought it was very effective. I thought it was a cool look, you know. Um, so that's basically what that was, you know, motivated by was the idea of fire escapes and things like that. You mentioned earlier the idea of the, that you kind of added the the flourish on the on the double D on Daredevil's chest. Was there any pushback at all about kind of tweaking the logo? No, not really. I don't recall there being any. I mean, it just came up with this sort of design. It was wanted it to look like a, sort of graffiti a little bit, you know. And then it just kept getting more and more stylized as the issues went on. I I started really getting the hang of doing you know this particular font. I mean, I came up with it. I just sort of drew it, and then it just kept. I kept refining it as the issues were going on, so it had that really cool sort of look to it. Um, you know, I there were a couple jokes I saw, like they had, somebody said, "Oh, is that the Darkwing Duck logo?" And I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, either way, it's funny. You know, some people loved it, and some people weren't so crazy about it. But I, you know, I thought it looked handsome on him on that black costume. So for sure, that's all that mattered to me. And like, how early? Like when you when you were kind of working and prepping the project, was it kind of understood very early on that absolutely we're going to tweak the costume? Like you said, you were kind of going back and forth with Joe about it. Like, was that always kind of an understanding that this is a you know a new number one? We're going to tweak the costume. It's going to be a little bit different. Or was there ever any discussion of just going with the standard red? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the idea was that it was going to come back to red at some point. I knew I wanted to draw him in the red. But the idea was to relaunch with a new costume and the sidekick um, blind spot. You know, uh, we didn't even know what the name of the character sidekick character was going to be for a bit. Uh, we were throwing ideas back and forth. Um, ultimately, settled on that. I think Charles finally came up with that idea. Um, so, so yeah, no, it was uh, right from the get go, and I knew that we were going to revisit the red costume at some point. So, just what sure when. When I, I don't know if you recall or remember this, but when they kind of first announced that uh, that you know you were on Daredevil and they kind of showed the cover and they kind of just showed the the silhouette of the blind spot character, did you laugh at all the speculation of who that character was? Because I remember like there's people thinking it was going to be Gambit because it kind of looked like he had the hair and it had like a staff and kind yeah. of like yeah. knowing what it was. Yeah. Did that make you laugh? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I know. It was great. I, I loved it. I mean, for me, I remember Charles saying something about it. I'm like, no, man, that the, the more they, they try to figure it out, the better. I mean, you know, um, it's good that people speculate and cast. It means they're talking about it. And, you know, they're going to want to open it and find out what is going on there. Is that a gamut or isn't it? Uh, I thought it was really funny, actually. <laughs> um, and he does look like Gambit on that cover, you know, but... If you really look at the face, you know, you, and it's 
look at the costumes if you realize upon studying it's not him no um, but just the hair the way it comes up the top you know it kind of looks like you know Remy LeBeau <laughs> I can see it that's why I laughed because I remember seeing them like it's not Gambit but I like the people think it is <laughs> yeah exactly that's how I felt about it um, actually, in that first arc, you also had the the big villain was uh, Ten Fingers, uh, which is very creepy, and you really accentuated the creepiness of that character. Um, what was that like, kind of drawing a character with such a creepy uh, attribute? That was a, yeah, that was a bitch, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah? To, I hope I could, I could swear on this podcast. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a bit much. I mean, I, you know, didn't know what to make of it, like when Charles first... You know, I was reading. I think I read it first before he told me about it. Maybe he told me. I don't remember. But I was like, "How am I going to pull this off?" You know, like um, so. He's got ten fingers. And it wasn't really that easy to draw ten fingers on a hand. It was actually quite difficult because both hands end up he ended up looking like platypus fins, and it was difficult to pull off him not looking re- just patently ridiculous. You know. <laughs> um, Try to. It worked eventually. Yeah, I think it worked. Um, I think one of the more ludicrous things with this pistols he was firing. <laughs> that, just, <laughs> that, was, that was a bit of a stretch, you know. But, you know, hey, it was in the script. So, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was the first villain. And, I, and I, was, and I will say, like I was saying, I think Charles comes up with some really great ideas. And that, and that was a good idea, too, you know. It, led into the whole Muse storyline and um, you know I thought it was effective mm-hmm. uh, you know definitely different nothing you'd seen before you know and that's that's to me is the important thing have we seen something like this before and no no we haven't so that's what was great about it for sure well before I let you go um, I want to ask uh, you've, you've done so many different characters not just for Marvel but obviously DC as well but m- mostly for Marvel you've kind of you've gone through the stable of characters is there a dream book or dream character left on your bucket list? Uh, <laughs> well uh, for Marvel you mean? Yeah, I mean, Marvel's where I obviously spent most of the time, and it's where you've kind of gone through uh, the cupboard of characters, so to speak, in terms of kind of emptying it. So, what is there still? Uh... I, I, I can't say that I, there's anything that's eluded me that I'm going, oh, I wish I could do that character, but I would love to do maybe. I would like another crack at Spider Man. Um. Hmm. That jumps out in my head for some reason. I don't know why, because I think there's some unexplored artistic stuff there that I didn't get to do um, because I'm inking my own work now, you know, and back then I was penciling, and there's a lot of things I was doing just in my sketching, you know, in my warm-up drawings for that character, and the way I ink and the way I would... that I wasn't able to do because I had somebody else inking it. And that was Bill Reinhold, who's great. He's a phenomenal artist in his own right. You know, I just, but, you know, when I worked with, that's why I stopped working with inkers, is because I just could never really get my visual language across the way I wanted to. And um, I was always having to tailor myself and my penciling to who was working on top of me, you know, and um, I could never get that point across. It was always always different than what I wanted not that it was bad 
you know, in some cases it wasn't so great, but you know, uh, overall I worked with mostly great guys, you know, it just, it's just never was me. Hmm. You know, I started out my career like that, you know, and I love Tom Palmer. He's a dear friend, you know, but he was on me on, on Moon Knight right away. And he's predominantly, a, was a finisher at that time. And, um, you know, doing working over people's breakdowns a lot, and I was honored to work with him. And I learned a lot. You know, it just got to the point where I, you know, I wanted it to be me. You know, and um, but I noticed that over the years, that every anchor I worked with, as great as they all were, it was always never me completely, and and I just could never really fully express myself visually unless I just was doing it myself. You know, so. Um, that's what eventually led to me just doing it on my own. And that's really what led to me just doing working with pencils. Like I was doing enhanced pencils mm-hmm. uh, point or, and not so enhanced in some spots where I had to rush, but which I hated, always hated having to do. Um, but you know, the pencils were the first sign that I was getting ready to, to, to just branch off and do and just ink my own work, you know, when I got comfortable enough to meet the schedule with it. So, and here we are. <laughs> are, there, are there times where, I, I guess, early on in, when you were starting to ink your own stuff where you had to kind of not get out of your own way, but that you kind of struggled to actually execute? Because for all these years, you were, you were putting down your vision, but you kind of knew that it was going to be somewhat muted or changed by whoever inked it. So almost, I I, this is maybe editorializing too much, but it was almost like you knew that someone was going to modify it a little so you could kind of maybe not be too precious with it because you knew it was going to be modified. But now that you're the one who's actually inking it, do you find that you know you struggle more to get it exactly the way you have it in your head since no one else is going to come along and add anything different to it? No, if anything, it's easier. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's easier. I can because I'm freer. I, I'm free to do what I want because I know how it's going to look, you know, and I, you know, I just because I know what I want to do with it. Um, you know, I, I again, it, it was all learning experiences. So you always learn something when you have somebody else ink you because you see. Yeah, it's interesting to see how they they interpret what you put down, mm. um, and it always changes with each inker. Um, and it goes for the colorists too actually but uh, you know I could do a hand to style a certain way but then the inker comes along and they think you know they want to redraw it because they want to put a knuckle in or you know and you have to explain to them no I'm trying to do a style there with this finger that way or you know it's little things but but those little things are like putting pennies in a jar over the course of a bunch of issues or one issue even those little changes add up to a big change over mm. the course of your entire style you know or your entire look that you're going for so you know you have to be very careful and I, you know I felt uptight at times working um, as good as these guys are you know I felt uptight because I couldn't be myself you know fully um, so and, but I was honored to work with, with all, everyone you know it's, uh, I've been honored uh, to work with these guys and you know like Sal Bissema you know, it was an honor to work with a guy like that. Mm-hmm. I always loved his stuff, his work. And stuff. Would you ever want to write? Yeah, if I had the time, I would. I just, you know, it's that's, if, you know, that's a hard sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Marvel talent, you know, not just Marvel, but I think the comic industry, people get into their niche and it's hard to break out of that, you know. Um, I've, I've co-written stories, you know, and I've written ideas like you know 
like again like the spider-man you know mm-hmm. that story was was my story idea so i have stories you know but it's you know for me to sit down and you know to draw them is 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 a long process and to sit and write you know i have too many other things that you know i do jujitsu and i have my kids and i have you know uh, music and a lot of other things I, i'm interested in and so that would require another whole level of commitment that I've just never, I was never willing to um, expose myself to. Um, so yeah, here we are, you know. Absolutely. But I do have ideas, lots of ideas. So. Okay. Well, again, Ron, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. And uh, as I said at the beginning, you know, I'm really enjoying your work on Savage Sword of Conan and can't wait to see more. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Thank you so Great much. To talk to you. All right. Take care. Take care.